WATD presents John Paul, the car doctor. All things automotive. Have questions? Call 781-837-4900. Now, here's John Paul, the car doctor. And good Sunday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor program on 95.9 WATD. That was uh, Jesse Wilkins being a weather observer and uh, uh, all the news you can use. Which or is done when the news when the yeah, news works when, when the news works yes yeah, website yes. seems to be down so we had yeah. no uh, CBS this <laughs> afternoon but that means we get more car doctor that's right that's right and uh, coming up on the car doctor program uh, we have Brian Loans he's going to be joining us as soon as he calls in I believe so uh, or if uh, or if Jesse you can call him if need be uh, but he should be calling in right around now I think so uh, but who is Brian Loans? Brian Loans is a announcer for Fox Sports for NHRA uh, podcaster blogger uh, he's he's a pretty talented guy and we'll be talking to him hopefully in a couple of minutes and next week we're going to actually and he's actually a local South Shore guy by the way and next week we're going to be talking to a former local South Shore guy uh, Dale Quarterly. Dale Quarterly was a uh, was a motorcycle racer back in his uh, younger days. Uh, even before that, he was a go-kart racer. Uh, went to motorcycles, was pretty successful in uh, superbike racing, uh, up there in the top seven or eight. And then he uh, he uh, went over to NASCAR, raced some NASCAR, uh, and then now he's doing motorcycle he's rider on track development, Building some uh, specialty stuff, so a bunch of bunch of things he's uh, he's uh, he's he's working on. So uh, a lot of things, a lot of things going on with him. So we'll be talking to him as well. Just hopefully he didn't forget or his. Seems like I threw off my Facebook message, but yeah, you I'll, did. I'll keep trying you to did. get all of you them. Did. You did. You did. Uh, so we have, uh, you know, hopefully Brian Loans isn't dealing with the, all of the frigid cold temperatures that we had yesterday. And I got a lot of emails over the past week. How do I protect my battery? What can I do? How, you know, how do I have to make sure that, uh, um, oh, he just, he just, uh, he just texted me back, by the way, Jesse. So he should be calling in in about two minutes. So, Sounds good. Uh, uh, so how do I, uh, you know, here's what it comes down to. If you have a well-maintained car, your car is going to pretty much work in any weather, hot weather, cold weather. It's going to be pretty, but when it starts getting a little bit tired and when the temperature drops to say 30 degrees or so, you lose about, oh, about a third of your, uh, maybe even up to half of the capacity of your battery. Uh, if you're if you, if the temperature dropped below zero like they did yesterday, and it was minus seven at my house on the Cape, um, when that happens, your car takes about fifty percent more energy to crank over because the oil's thicker, and if your spark plugs are a little bit worn, you're going to have more problems, and the car is going to be harder to start. So, um, but if you maintain it, and again, engine coolant is very important. Uh, don't be concerned about wind chill factors, except for you. Uh, what you need to be concerned about is uh, making sure you have the right antifreeze mix in your car. If you either buy pre-mixed engine coolant, uh, so you're paying essentially for water, but if you get pre-mixed engine coolant, which is convenient because it has good water in it, uh, it doesn't have water with a lot of, with a lot of minerals in it, um, if you have that, you're in, you're in good condition. Uh, it will protect your engine to minus 34 degrees, which is good, so... Well, with us is uh, 
local South Shore guy and uh, pretty, f- I don't know, uh, Brian, would I call you famous at this point? Locally. I'm J-list. How about <laughs> you're a J-lister. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. You know, uh, you're, uh, you're, I think you're, you may be the most famous guy that I know. Well, that's an honor, John. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, just to re-announce you again, with us on the phone is Brian Lones. Sure. You are you are an announcer for uh, NHRA. You're on yes. Fox FS FS1 uh, because yes. I'm I'm cheap and don't have real cable. I watch you on like the uh, bunch of uh, alternative networks. Where just recently I saw. Um, Something it was sort of like NHRA flashbacks where you were kind of narrating some older stuff, going over uh, going over some old races, and I found it fascinating. By the way, especially I th- you had a clip of maybe one of the first video appearances of John Force and 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 what was he called? Yeah. Brute brute force. Yeah. So back in the seventies, like John, you know, John's career began really in about 1974 and he started to kind of get a name for himself in about 1977. And back then pretty much everybody had a nickname. So he was, he went by John brute force and all of his cars had this cool graphic on it with this old, like, like a medieval hand, you know, like a, uh, a knight in armor, like an armored hand holding twin lightning bolts. And that was always his thing. He was John brute force for many years. Yeah. And, um, and he still has the same, uh, still has the same fire suit. It seems like. Yeah, <laughs> the guy is it's amazing, and and you know John has always been one of the great hallmarks of John Force's career. Just you know all the championships and the wins, but he's always been a great showman. And one of the things you'll notice is that even going back to the days when he was sponsored by Castrol, really when he kind of rose to prominence in the 80s, he always had a white fire suit. And and the reason he does that is because when you drive a nitro funny car. Uh, the clutch wears as the car is going down the track, and the and the inside of the car kind of fills up with what we call clutch dust, which is, which is effectively almost like a powdered metal shavings. And so John understood that he looked – it made him look really cool that, like, if you had this white fire suit and you get out of the car and it's all blackened by the clutch dust, it kind of makes you look like a hero. And so he's always had that theatrical thing going. And even to this day, you know, right now he's, he's sponsored by Peak – and uh, Peak's colors are blue and white. His pri- his fire suits are always still white because he likes that idea of looking like the gritty, funny car racer that's all covered in soot and clutch dust and stuff. And and you know you you look at you look at funny car racing, drag racing in general, and I really enjoy it because honestly, it's quick. You know, it's it's it one is. of those things. It it's one of those things that that happens. It's really quick. It's good for my ADD. Uh, you know, I, I can I can watch it. I can watch it over and over again. It seems like, and, and I'm never never bored by it. But it is it is a um, it is a ridiculously dangerous sport, right? Yeah, I mean it is, and and so you know the, the cars, like all motorsports, you know everybody says you know the, the the rules are all written in blood, which is true they are. I mean you know you look at advancements in in any sort of racing, they're all written on the backs of of somebody having a problem and and maybe have being injured because of it or worse. So you know we look at the cars of today and and, and especially in drag racing and in the two categories that most people are familiar with in, in top fuel and nitro funny car, and you know these are cars that will accelerate from a dead standing start and in 600 feet, they're going close to 300 miles an hour. And by the time they get to a thousand feet, they're traveling almost 340 miles an hour. And so we've seen, you know, knock on wood, you've seen over the years, uh, almost every, you think you've seen every imaginable way to crash one of these things, but you know, we continue to seemingly uh, invent new ways year after year. And that's why 
you know, the chassis, the way that the drivers are, you know, um, you know, secured inside the cars, the seats that they use, the fire protection equipment they have, you know, all of this stuff continues to advance kind of year over year. And I mean, you know, John was, it was funny back during his heyday in the, in the eighties and nineties, um, he blew up and burned down a lot of funny cars and, you know, NHRA has a traveling safety team called the Safety Safari, which has been part of the NHRA since the earliest days. And John, at one point, was burning cars down with such frequency, they put NHRA Safety Safari test vehicle uh, on, the, on the side of this funny car. So, uh, he is He's embraced uh, that. And, and listen, he's in his 70s now. He's still perennially a championship contender. He signed a, a renewal of his contract with Peak uh, for another couple of seasons. So, um, we may see a farewell tour next year, but, uh, he will be, you know, he'll be racing for a championship like he has for, I mean, more than 40 years, uh, when we get going in, in Gainesville here in a few weeks. And, you know, speaking of kind of legendary drag races too, there's always a Don Garlitz. He's, he, oh, sure. he, he's what, 90 years old now? Yeah, I believe he just turned 91. And, you know, to me, and, and I hope John's not listening, but, you know, Don Garlitz is my favorite, you know, drag racer of all time. The guy is, he's a fascinating man to talk to, kind of a brilliant guy. Um, and, you know, his, you know, Don's, you know, big thing over the course of his career was really kind of perfecting the art of doing this as a professional. And, and you know, there's, I think, you know, and we look back in the history of the sport, I think Don Garlitz is probably the first guy in the history of the world to be able to put professional drag racer uh, on, you know, his tax forms is what his occupation was. Because really, before he came along, this was, it was very much a hobby. Uh, even at the highest levels back in the early 60s, this was a hobby activity. And Don Garlitz managed to take this hobby activity and make it a profession. And because of that, you know, this ended up becoming a, you know, big league professional motorsport in America. But you know, Don Garlitz is responsible for so much and, you know, most famously is responsible for when you look at a top field dragster now, the engine is behind the driver. Um, up until the early 1970s, the, the, they were called slingshot dragsters because the driver would sit effectively behind the rear axle, like, like a pebble in a slingshot, and the engine was in front of them. And, you know, Garlitz had a very famous incident um, in 1970. We're actually coming up on, what, the 53rd uh, anniversary of this in March of 1970. Uh, he exploded his front-engine dragster at a place called Lions Drag Strip in California. And when that happened, the clutch blew up, and the clutch sawed off half of his right foot. And over the course of time, you know, Don had been burned and all kinds of other stuff over his career. And while he was hospitalized, he thought, we have to figure out how to make this rear-engine dragster work. And it was a little bit more complicated than people think in that it wasn't simply just stuffing the engine in the back and calling it a day, because other people had tried this and it hadn't worked. And what Garlitz was able to figure out with his crew, a guy named T.C. Lemons, another guy named Connie Swingle, was that they had to change the ratio of the steering to compensate for the different weight distribution and how the car was driving. And once Garlitz figured that out, he made this workable rear-engine dragster. And within, within a year, effectively, the front-engine dragster had been made into, into scrap. And 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 it became safer for everyone involved at that point too, which I which I think is pretty interesting. And and you brought up you know he was one of the first people that could ever really put you know drag racer on his tax forms. I remember I had the opportunity to just casually chat with him one day, and he was telling me how he had to lie to his mother that he was going racing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, there was a. He sold a famous T-shirt uh, for many years uh, at the races, and he said on the T-shirt was written his his kind of famous line was that he told his mom he was in jail for twenty years rather than admit 
admitted, admitted to her that he was a drag racer. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it it is it is pretty interesting. And and you know, here in New England, we have uh, you know Bobby Tasker, who yeah. he's 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 kind of middle of the pack as far as how yeah, he listen, does. He was yeah. He the last two seasons, uh, you know, where Bob was in. Bob has had two of the best seasons he's ever had the last two years. Unfortunately for Bob, he peaked early, uh, meaning that he would, you know, our season's long. Uh, you know, it's going to start in March this year, and it's going to finish up in uh, in November, effectively. And so Bob had his best months uh, really in kind of May, June, and July, where, you know, we have a playoff format in the NHRA. So when we get to September, um, it doesn't really matter it, 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 you get seeded in this playoff by how you did during the regular season. So he was a very good seed coming into the playoff, but over the course of the last six races, his car just did not perform the way he wanted it to. Um, he's since made some changes. He's He's got a new set of crew chiefs. Just like in any professional sport, uh, when your team does not perform in the playoffs, you replace the coaching staff. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> um, and so he's gone ahead and done that. So he's got two experienced crew chiefs coming on board for this year. And, um, you know, I suspect Bob will be a, a top five player again. And, you know, he's capable of winning a championship. I mean, the guy is a very good driver. Obviously, his family has an incredible legacy in the sport. And the neat thing that's going on in NHRA now is there's this kind of renaissance happening with um, smaller kind of privateer teams. So, um, you know, I'm a South Shore guy, as, as you mentioned. And uh, in Weymouth, Massachusetts, there's a, a guy named Dana Hard who uh, operates a machine shop called Custom Auto Machine. He's been in business for years. And he actually is going full-blown nitro funny car racing this year he is going to race effectively in the same class as bob tasca and he at his shop right now has a fully assembled funny car they're finishing up the details and you know he's kind of grown his way through the sport over the course of years the difference is bob will run every race this season and dana will probably run three or four but it's really neat we're seeing this kind of revival of the idea of a privateer guy like a normal dude who has a small business able to go nitro racing again well, doesn't that fall into that category of the only way you can make a small fortune racing is start with a large fortune? <laughs> right. There's a there's a there's a joke that um, you know nitromethane is the fuel these cars run on, and and the joke is that nitromethane is a universal solvent. Uh, it will dissolve your bank account. It will dissolve marriages. It will dissolve friendships. It will dissolve everything you own. Um, so yeah, a guy like Dana though, with the amount of experience he has is not going to go out there and kind of go over his head. And that's been the big difference. There have been more and more people who have decided to say, listen, I'm not going to, I'm going to do this and it's ridiculously expensive, but if I do it at a measured pace, I'm not going to go broke. I'm going to have a budget. I'm going to race my four, five, three, four, five times a year. And that's a great way to supplement all of our professional teams that do run the entire circuit. And so it makes it really fun when we go to some of these racetracks, whether it's in the East Coast or we go out to the West Coast and you know, some of these privateer cars are pretty fast, and when they're able to upset one of the established kind of stars, it makes for it makes for great drama on television. I can tell you that. Yeah, I, I'm sure it does. And and you know, you you know, we were talking about Bob Tasca. You know, he's he's an interesting guy because, you know, besides they've just expanded their dealership network. I think they've they've opened dealerships in New Jersey now and and Yonkers, and uh, they're expanding that network kind of all over the place. But uh, he's, you know, it was it was kind of funny. I sat with him one day. I invited him to um, an event at AAA, and I noticed he didn't eat much. Then later, I found out he's a he's a vegetarian or a vegan, and I always felt bad that we always served him steak. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Bob's and Bob is a very to your point. I, I'm I'm pretty tight with Bob. He's a great guy, and maybe not necessarily the guy that that some people may think he would be because of obviously who his family is and what they've accomplished and, and all that they've done. But 
you know, Bob has a, a very close relationship with Jim Farley, who is the, you know, the guy that runs the Ford Motor Company. Um, they're on the product planning committees. Like, the, you know, the Tasca family is involved really at the highest levels of, of what goes on with Ford. If they're not, you know, we look at them in, in this maybe nostalgic way and think, oh, man, the cool cars, you know, that they developed, whether it was the, the Thunderbolt or the Cobra Jet Mustang, all that stuff was really developed at Tasca Ford. But they continue to have a really, really major effect, um, you know, on things that happen with Ford Motor Company. And he was just at the announcement that Ford came out with the other day that Ford's entering um, the world of Formula One racing in, in a few years with the Red Bull team. And so Bob was actually there hanging out with, like, Max Verstappen and the cool F1 people. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw I saw that, and, and and really interesting. And, you know, I think he's he's one of those people that, you know, he seems pretty subdued until he wins, and then you see all this emotion come out of him, which I think makes it makes it really really interesting. And and um, you know, and I think all of the top drivers, you know, there's a real interesting group of I think top drivers, whether they're whether they're funny car drivers or uh, I think anybody who's good in the sport, they have this kind of weird switch that goes off inside of them when when they're doing really well and and maybe when they don't they're sort of the other direction and i think a lot <laughs> of yeah, yeah 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 so it makes it real interesting let's talk about who who you're uh kind of in the booth with these days sure so i work with uh tony pedragon so if we if we equate it to uh you know watching an nfl game if you got jim nance and tony romo uh, i would be playing the jim nance role and and tony pedragon's my my tony romo for the same reason that Tony Romo's there. Tony's a two-time world champion, uh, team owner. You know, he's really accomplished a lot of stuff in the sport. His family has a great legacy, just like the Tasker family has a legacy in drag racing. You know, Tony's dad was uh, called Flamin' Frank Pedregon. He raced uh, successfully during the 60s. And his brother, Cruz, uh, is a multi-time champion who still competes. His other brother, Frank, has won uh, national events as well. We don't see Frank as much at the racetrack anymore. But, you know, Tony's a great guy, and... and um you know, one of the, the best thing of, things about him is a uh, brutal honesty. And so, uh, <laughs> for a lot of years, I think if you watched um, you watched drag racing on TV, it was a lot of people being like, "Oh, that that was an unlucky break," or "Geez, uh, it stinks that that happened to this person." Um, we kind of keep it real in terms of just like when you're watching the Patriots play and somebody drops, you know, ball hits them in the numbers and they drop it in the end zone. If somebody goes up there and red lights or has a horrible reaction time or drives the car poorly. We're not going to shy away from that, and um, mm. it's one of the reasons I really like working with Tony. Uh, it does occasionally incur some angry phone calls and some unpleasant uh, mail from our fans, but at the same time, it's honest, and, uh, and the audience likes it. Well, I think I think that's important. It was funny. I don't know. A couple of years ago, I guess I had Leah Pruitt on, and and her, and I happened to mention you, and she all and I tried to find the clip this morning, but I couldn't find it where she just said, "I love Brian." yeah i mean it's it's an interesting place to be it's and you know it's the this balance you try to walk between you know you have to maintain personal relationships with with all the drivers but at the same time you can't be so far in the tank that you're just giving them a pass you know so uh, there there are times when you see somebody the week after you know the show and whether they've seen it or not they kind of look at you and go yeah i know you probably buried me on tv for making that mistake but you you know there's all water under the bridge after a while but no, listen, Lee is great. Lee is one of the great, um, you know, the great personalities in the sport and, you know, brings up the larger point that, you know, what drag racing is as opposed to every other motorsport in terms of, you know, we have female champions, we have female racers that went on a week-to-week basis, we got African-American champions, we got Latino people. I mean, it is, when we look at other forms of racing, we always kind of like to brag on ourselves because, you know, you said, well, we have this diversity, like whatever 
well, we're going to have this diversity program to help bring up more diverse drivers. And it's like drag racing's had a diversity program since it started in 1955. You know, it's, it's, it's just been part of the culture, which is great. I mean, I think when you go through the pits and you see families and you're able to see, you know, whether it's a mother, father, and their daughters or whatever, be able to run up to an Eric Anders or a Leah and get their photos taken and kind of see somebody that, you know, represents them, it, it sets drag racing apart from really every other form of professional racing in the world. Yeah, it it really does make it interesting, and I think it it's really what what makes it kind of fun and and interesting to listen to. And uh, the other the other part of your life is you have created a pretty interesting podcast that has a lot of history. Uh, some of you, some of your podcasts are short. Some of them are. Uh, I don't know. Do, 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 I think you have a record-setting podcast. It's like, what, two and a half <laughs> hours long or something, right? Yeah, so um, it's called the Dorkomotive Podcast, and, and effectively it's it's not necessarily – some of it's about drag racing, but it's a lot of it's just about mechanical history. And so, you know, I, I'm a, a curious person. I like investigating things. I, I read a lot, so sometimes I'll run across a topic that it, it, it interests me, and I kind of go down the rabbit hole for it. But, um, yeah, it's – so, like, there's an episode in there about this guy named Broadway Freddie DeName, uh, who was a, a funny car racer during the 1970s, but his real job was to be a, a contract mafia uh, killer, effectively, for the DeMeo family, or he worked with Roy DeMeo for the five families in New York. So this guy was racing funny cars during the weekend, and he was doing some pretty horrendous things during the week. Um, that's one example. There's an episode in there about the history of headlights, uh, which seems like it would be very boring, but in fact, it's incredible. And um, the idea that these these guys were were making these headlights using acetylene gas and kept blowing up their factories all over the country. Um, there's episodes in there about all manner of things. Uh, the one you're talking about, I think the longest one I have is um, kind of a history of Art Arfons, who was one of the great, you know, hot rodder racer guys yep. of of the, the 20th century. And you know, and the cool thing is, I, I the reason I you can go long on that stuff because obviously a podcast you can pick it up and put it down, but you know, I talked to Humpy Wheeler in there. I talked to a lot of the racers of the era. I talked to his son. Um, it's a it's a great way to, you know, if you're into learning stuff and, and into history, you know, the history of big rig super speedway racing, that's one of the episodes in there. So it's got a pretty diversified background. And, uh, you know, our producer, Jesse, is a, is a successful podcaster with his uh, hometown ghost stories. Are there any haunted haunted drag racing stories? Other you than, know, I think, other than yeah, James Dean's car, yeah, James <laughs> Dean's car, of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. James Dean's car—that's a whole, yeah, that's a whole, that's a whole episode in and unto itself, right? Um, you know, I think the drag strip thing is is interesting in that, yeah, I, I think you can, I think you can say that about almost any sort of professional sports, you know, arena. I think when you you walk into Fenway and you can talk about the ghosts of Red Sox past, and you know, we go to a place, um, you know, we go to. Uh, Indianapolis Raceway Park, you know, in Indy, where we run our U.S. Nationals, which is the biggest, you know, most prestigious drag race of the year. And you can't help but stand there and go, you know, you can't help but but have some of that, you know, that history kind of soak in. You know, you're standing there, you know, standing on the same piece of ground that the legendary, you know, Keith Jackson, the announcer that was there in 1963 calling the race is standing on. So, yeah, I think you can't help but think there are some some ghosts out there. Hopefully, mostly friendly ones. But uh, I've never been knock on wood. I've never been uh, accosted by an evil ghost at a drag strip. So I hope that streak stays alive. Well, that's good. I don't, Jesse. I think you got some work cut out for you. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but before we let you go, a couple couple more things. Um, you're voicing a video game now, right? 
Yeah, so that was kind of a wild thing last year. The NHRA uh, teamed up with a, a team developed of, of an NHRA drag racing video game. It's called Speed for All, and um, I was able to provide the, the voice tracks for it, and it was pretty intense. I'd never done anything like that. You know, I've done plenty of voiceover stuff, but never for a video game. So basically we went into a recording studio in Boston for a couple of days and did – about 5,000 lines of uh, 5,000 li- different lines of audio. And um, what was interesting is you kind of have to read these lines in several different ways. So you're doing one line but reading it four or five times. And it was a great experience. It was neat to work with, you know, people who are, you know, voice producers and directors. And it really was um, – it was cool. And it's, it's pretty neat when, you know, my son Jack's playing or whatever and I can kind of hear from his bedroom. He can hear me yelling at him that he's done a poor job qualifying or something like that. It's, <laughs> It's a neat thing to kind of hear bouncing off the walls, for sure. Um, and you just did it, and I'm going to pick on you a little bit. You just said, you know, you went into Boston. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how does the accent play off in uh, as being a national announcer? You know, I, I obviously, and I think even, it'll sneak out a couple times, as you said, but it's I keep it very neutral. You know, that's yeah. typically the way it goes. And people always say, well, you don't sound like you're from there, and I don't think people want to hear it. You know, I, I'm not yeah. necessarily. I think there's, and, you know, I I personally, like, if I'm watching a stock car race, I think it's cool when I hear somebody with a drawl or, a, you know, a North Carolina accent or whatnot, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure the Boston accent plays well everywhere. <laughs> so, I think it's better, and, and we get to joke about it at times. Like I'll sneak a dragster or a funny car in there every once in a while, yeah. but uh, especially if Task is doing well. But um, you know, it's fun. I, you know, when Bob, you know, when Bob's able to win, it's it's kind of fun to make some of those local references about cohogs or stuff that maybe people outside of the New England region don't get, but uh, definitely lands with his hometown fans. There you go, and. Um, you know, it's you know we look at we look at the way the world's changing, and you know it started off you know everything, you know, and, and I was just at a cruise night last night, and you know you know Vegas with you know three eighty three stroker engines yeah. in them, and <laughs> sure. and and you know, but there was a little contingent of you know kind of Asian hot rotor. You know, I saw I saw yeah. a Honda Civic with with a turbocharger and a supercharger on it in nitrous. You know why the thing didn't blow up as soon as they started it, um, <laughs> but um, you. You know, now we're in a world where everything is turning electric. Um, sure. How how's the how's the kind of atmosphere of you know electric racing? You know, are are the traditional folks like that will never work, or is it just another form of racing that people can kind of get down and enjoy and make stuff faster? Yeah, you know, that's to be that the last point you made is the one that that suits drag racing the best. So I think if you look at other forms of racing, like let's take stock car racing for example. Like when they ultimately go and, you know, they're going to hybridize those cars first. And then eventually, eventually you're going to have electric stock car racing. That's just, that's the natural evolution of how that's going to go because of the fact that so much of their, so much of their budget and, and that stuff is driven by the, the OE manufacturers, right? So they're in ways they're kind of not handcuffed, but they're influenced by what the OEs are doing and what the OEs want. In drag racing, the, the coolest part about what we have going in the future is that everything we do is in classes, right? Everything we have is classified to race against something similar. So drag racing in 10 years is going to be in a much different place than any other motorsport because of the fact you'll be able to walk in the gate, you'll be able to see the fastest EV cars in the world competing against each other, and you're still going to hear the loudest romp and stomp and top fuel dragsters and funny cars that you maybe come to see or maybe you've never seen before. So you're going to have both ends of the spectrum, whereas in other forms of racing, once you go down that road, that's the only way you can go. And the idea of, you know, the idea of 
a very quiet NASCAR event is bizarre to me. I mean, if you've never been to a NASCAR race, I encourage anybody listening to go because it is it is a, a very awesome spectacle to see. The wall of noise that is just relentless for hours on end is incredible. But once they once they take that away, I'm not sure what it looks like and what it feels like in in drag racing. Once again, you'll be able to roll in. We may have electric cars that are nearly as fast as top fuel dragsters, but we'll also have the top fuel dragsters that make you, you know, make your guts rumble and your eyes water and your nose run. So for us, we're in a great spot. I mean, the NHRA has already adopted EVs into into the competitive landscape. There's a uh, an EV national champion uh, that was the first time ever was crowned last year. That that program continues. So, you know, drag racing traditionally has been you know, a seat for everybody that wants to sit down, and and that's still going to be the case. I mean, you know, local drag strips like New England Dragway in New Hampshire, you know, they benefit from the fact that there are EV enthusiasts out there because that's another guy that's paying his 20 bucks on a Wednesday night to come make some runs. So to exclude those people would be criminal, especially because they're enthusiasts, and ultimately, you know, the enthusiasts help drive all this stuff forward. Yeah, they really do. Speaking of enthusiasts, um, for a while there, I was hooked on a video channel of car reviews, uh, Tom's Car Reviews. Oh yes, 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 yeah, that's, yeah. My uh, so that's my son, and uh, my son Tom is, is very much uh, following in the following in the the automotive journalistic mold. He's uh, he he pretty much has a he has strong opinions on everything uh, as any teenage kid does. But he truly, truly loves cars, and and certainly loves uh, talking about the stuff that we get to drive through the different press fleets and stuff. Yeah, I, I, I remember him. He was uh, reviewing it, and it was like a Ford Explorer or something. He said, you know, it, it handles it handles well, like most SUVs, not that well, you know. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> like he does. Like, you know, he's yeah. a world authority. Yeah. Now, yeah. from the passenger seat, he is very perceptive from the passenger seat, so I will give him that much. And uh, But, no, it's great. Yeah. He, has a, he has a true passion and enthusiasm for it, and I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that he's pursuing it. Yeah, and and I have to tell you, he does a he does a really good job of it too. He's he's uh, he's he's going to do really well at it. Uh, does he have his Does he have his license yet? So he's got a permit. Uh, he will be getting his license in a few months, and uh, he's got his first car, which is uh, he he bought a, a he with his own money. He saved his own money, and he's he since funded this project. But we had a neighbor that had a late nineties E three twenty Mercedes that had been kind of languishing in the driveway for years, and was on four flat tires and he went up there and talked to the guy we looked it over it was really clean no rust the motor looked good turned over free and pushed it home with my tractor and we've gone end to end in the thing replacing the brakes and the steering rack and done all kinds of work to it it's been a really great project for him to learn how to do a lot of this stuff and he's going to have a cool uh e320 mercedes on a nice set of wheels and tires rolling into high school with i, I was going to say it sounds like the perfect vehicle to put an ls motor in but you know Oh, it absolutely is uh, when he's 30. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Hey, hey, Brian, if people want to find out more information about you and where sure. they can find out all your information, how, how do they do it? Uh, sure. So you can, uh, if you're interested in podcasts and mechanical automotive type history, you can find me at the Dork Omotive podcast. That's Dork O Motive. And that's on Spotify and Apple and all the places where your yep. podcast can be found. Um, I have a website called bangshift.com, which is a daily kind of car magazine, enthusiast style magazine, event coverage and videos and all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, you can find me on Instagram, which is at Brian Loans, L O H N E S. Um, and also find me on Fox Sports. If you like drag racing, you can watch us on the Fox Broadcast Network about a dozen times a year, and the rest of our races are to be found on FS1. And we're going to start our season. This year we're not starting in Pomona where we normally start. This year we're actually starting at the Gator Nationals uh, second weekend in March in uh, in Florida. So everybody's getting geared up. 
So you really are you really are the South Shore's uh, king of all media. <laughs> you know, if there is such a thing, maybe I'm that. Maybe there you I'm go. At. Hey, Brian, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your Sunday morning to join us on the Car Doctor program. Always a pleasure. Yeah, John, always great to talk to you, man. Thanks. Keep up the great work. Uh, all right. Take care. Bye-bye. We need to take a break and pay some bills. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor program. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the Hyundai Elantra, not just any Hyundai Elantra, but the Hyundai Elantra N line, which is their performance version. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor program. If you would like to join us, our phone number is 781-837-4900. We'll be right back. No one wants to be left out in the cold. With AAA, you won't be. Their experienced technicians will be there fast to help with your dead battery, unexpected breakdown, frozen locks, or any car issue that comes with winter weather. They're trained to fix most problems on the spot, often without the need for a tow. And you're covered in any car you're driving or riding in, 24-7. Join AAA today at aaa.com join. You make it big in motorsports, but the real reward for most is the thrill of the adrenaline and the chance to hold the checkered flag. I'm Miles Heger. The excitement and danger of motor racing are the reasons drivers love to race and why fans show up. Join me and my guests each week as we discuss the local short tracks while also sharing opinions and insight on NASCAR's National Series. Tune in to Miles on Motorsports Tuesday nights at 7 here on 95.9 WATD. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the car doctor, on 95.9 WATD. Now, back to the car doctor. And welcome back to the car doctor program. And uh, it's kind of funny. Brian and I lived in the same town for a bunch of years. We never really knew each other until I was at an event. And and he said, "Uh, oh, told me where he lived. And I'm like, really? I live there. But uh yeah it it is uh he's he is he is one of the most knowledgeable people that I know about motorsports. He he does an amazing job if you now that you've heard him and the next time you're either on one of the you know uh automotive channels that runs drag racing or when you see it live on Fox Sports you'll you'll see him, you'll hear him, you'll recognize his voice. He does a really good job and he has this uh, he brings all these literally note cards with him about the drivers and what they've been up to, and uh, he he just does does an amazingly good job. He's uh, you know it's it's fun to watch and his and his podcast, the Dork Omotive Podcast, which is a kind of interesting name, um, does really really well, and it has some really interesting stuff on it. So uh, give give that a listen when you can, and. Uh, and and check it all out and the uh, sort of uh, NHRA flashback stuff that is really interesting because he goes back and he sort of narrates some of the earliest races and uh, just uh, again kind of fun stuff to find when you're cruising around cable looking for stuff so always good stuff I promised we'd talk about the car that got me around for a little while in the last couple of weeks was um, the Hyundai Elantra and I've owned a few Hyundai models over the years uh I think the first one that we owned was a Hyundai Scoop. Uh, so, like, the word coupe with an S in front of it. It was the first year, I think, Hyundai used fuel injection. Uh, they took their regular little uh, Hyundai and made it into a two-door, which which made it kind of interesting. Then I owned an Elantra and a Santa Fe and then a Santa Fe Sport. So I, I owned a few of them. And... Um, 
they've all been they were all been functional, reasonably practical vehicles, except for the scoop, which was a little underpowered as an attempt for a sports car. But even then, it was uh, pretty reliable. All the cars did really well. Um, well, that's changed at least uh, for this uh, road test. Our road test was in an Elantra, still one of the best choices in a compact sedan, but this time in the N version, not to be, be confused with the N line, which is a little bit different, which adds sporty features and a sport tuned suspension, revised powertrains, multi link independent suspension, larger front brakes, sporty tires. Uh, so while it might not offer all the thrills at the end version, the Elantra N-Line does uh, back its sporty looks up with a few performance upgrades, but it's missing the 75 horsepower. That's right. So what makes this N, uh, and the N's the official name for Hyundai's high-performance line, like, uh, you know, AMG Mercedes or BMW M or, you know, Audi RS line or Volkswagen R. Well, the N stands for high performance, but uh, these brands use R for motorsports. N represents two important elements. Um, it's an area in South Korea, in the which is the birthplace, and it's also Hyundai's global um, R&D center, but also the uh, Nuremberg ring, which is where they race everything. So it all kind of combines together. In, in here, there's a... Uh, a uh, flat crank uh, two-liter engine. It produces 276 horsepower and 289 foot-pounds of torque. Um, so, you know, you add this to, you know, fatter, firmer suspension. You open up the trunk, and it has all this reinforcement bars across the, the uh, rear trunk to keep the body stiff. The seats are, um, I found, really comfortable and supportive without being over-bolstered, which I really which I really don't like when you get into some cars they're so bolstered um they're almost uncomfortable i found the seats comfortable my wife didn't a friend of mine was in the car he's like i find these you know these seats really comfortable and i did the same thing um in other places you know it's it's you can tell the cheap cheaped out it's not the right word but the plastic seems a little hard and stiff um but overall it is such a nice car to drive if you like performance cars now i felt too old driving it i will admit i think you know you it feels like i had to be in my 20s or 30s or maybe even early 40s because it it makes a lot of noise it's loud it's um it's it's a performance uh sports sedan like a Volkswagen Golf R or something like that. So uh and it's kind of a bargain compared to some of these other ones. So the Hyundai Elantra is a fine uh, fine car transferring, you know, in this end version transfers into one of the best handling front wheel drive cars on the road today. The steering's accurate, it gives the Elantra a nimble feel performance from the engine is strong. The H speed transmission shifts crisply uh like a well driven manual transmission. The ride's firm but handling is very good. Uh, quick turns are flat. It feels like a go-kart when you're driving it. Uh, then there's a the price. It's about $33,000, and compared with some other compact uh, sedans like the Golf, Civic, or Subaru WRX are in some cases far pricier. So if the Elantra N was a cat, the N version, I guess, would be a feral cat, mean, angry, and doesn't play well with others, I guess. So that's how I would look at the Hyundai Elantra, So and especially the Hyundai Elantra N. Regular Hyundai Elantra, competitive with cars like, uh, you know, uh, Toyota Corolla or Honda Civic uh, in this version, competitive with the performance versions. Our phone number is 781-837-4900. I believe we have Rusty on the line. Rusty, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I've actually listened to the show since the summer, and I've uh, truly enjoyed it. I found the station by accident, and I, I really enjoy it. Oh, it's, it's crazy. Oh, thanks. From the satellite, I split my time between the satellite world and you guys, so I quite enjoy it. And I just have two quite, well, two, one point and a question for you. First of all, I used to be one of the biggest NASCAR fans you could talk to. 
and it just died out because NASCAR is killing itself. You know, they've they've just besides all the involvement with what they're getting involved with, all the politics and everything else, it's just it drives you nuts. And now with electrification, I'm like, oh god, are you kidding me? I mean, there used to be something when when you went up to Loud and they're coming onto the track and you can smell the octane before the race got going. It was really something else. But now NASCAR just wants to be an entertainer itself. It's 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 more about the entertainment first and the car second. So so is uh, NASCAR the equivalent of uh, WWE wrestling? I, I was just going to say that because before, <laughs> like in the old, like before you can know, Earnhardt, Labonte, Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, Jimmy Johnson, that that was great. I mean, who's excited about the Daytona and 500 this week? I mean, yeah, I love Chase Elliott because I'm an old guy. Like, I love all the older drivers because like, I'm 51. I love Harvick. I, and it's just, and I got to meet Chase Elliott when he was first driving way back when, like he was at the whole Spinners game. And I met him when he was signing autographs when he signed a Hendrick truck deal. And I still have that autograph picture of us together. But it's just something totally off the wall. And it's not the same NASCAR. They're trying to adapt. It's like, you know, especially with the going on with the clash today. And please don't even yeah. start with that. Just, yeah, I mean, I mean, it it is, you know, Brian brought up, brought up a really good point about um, how NHRA is is going to go mm-hmm. electric because there's that's a competitive field, but you're still going right. to go there and you're going to hear this, you know, you're going to hear this open header dragster mm-hmm. that's going to it's going right. to you know it's going to make the diaphragm inside your chest vibrate like a like a snare drum, mm-hmm. and that's right. part that's part of what makes I think really what makes NHRA what it is, and the idea like he said if you go to a uh, you know, a NASCAR race, and it's mm-hmm. quiet except Nothing. for the squeal of tires. It's going to be, mm-hmm. it's going to be a little bit boring sounding, I guess. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I, who knows? Who knows where it's going to go? Right. Uh, it'd be be interesting to see. You know, the uh, you know the the car the the car of the future didn't didn't do so well so far. So we'll right. have we'll have to see where it all goes. And um, you know, I think whenever there's competition, whatever it is, is always is always good. But uh like I like I said, you know, it was uh you know you know, it had to be a V eight and then, you know, mm-hmm. you know, some of the you know, some of the you know, four cylinder engine when you see a four cylinder engine make a thousand horsepower, you right. have to be impressed. <laughs> you might not like it. You might not like right. it but the idea that you know somebody's somebody's got this you know thousand horsepower you know Nissan mm-hmm. and right. uh, you know you, you got to look at it and go wow that's pretty impressive not what I would do but pretty impressive right. still yeah right and I just had one more I have a really stupid question for you now too I bought my I actually bought a Prius way back when in 2013 before like I didn't even know I, I test drove eight different vehicles and I fell in love with the car because it, it had satellite radio and other stuff I love. Yeah. I bought it with 7,200 miles on it, if you can believe it. I now have 214,000 miles on it. Do you think I can get a million miles out of it, or am I just being lucky? Because I take care of it. You know, I just replace the tires on it for the third time. You know, I do all the maintenance brakes. I use synthetic oil. I was just wondering, because I told my mechanic, I bet him 100 bucks. I'm like, do you think I can get 500,000? I was like, possibly. Because you can well, get 250, uh, 300 easily. And I'm like, okay. Well, I mean, somewhere around 300,000, you're going to have to put a battery in it. Right, okay. Uh, uh, and the only reason, and this is my you know scientific approach to how long hybrid batteries last. Every time I've ever been in a cab, I always ask the mm-hmm. cab drivers, you know, how much, how how long does a battery last? And usually it's around three hundred thousand miles. They end up putting a battery, mm-hmm. and um, and it doesn't make any difference if it was a hybrid fusion right, or right, a Camry right, right, or whatever right. the case is. Right. So you got to put a battery in it. But I said, how about the gasoline engines? How are they doing? And they, you know, cabs that get driven seven days a week, 
24 hours mm-hmm. a day. They're seeing mm-hmm. half a million miles out of a Prius. So right. I don't right. see why and you're you, not going to get half a million. You can install the battery package yourself, right? You can, you can install that yourself, right? It's pretty easy, self-explanatory to install. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it. you know, you can, and you can even buy remanufactured batteries now. So basically, you know, it show, you know, you take your battery out, you send it out mm-hmm. to a company where they take out the bad cells, put in good cells, they send you one mm-hmm. back, and it's about it's about half the price of a new battery. So, um, yeah, you can do and and yeah, I mean, there's some you know some things you have to do to be careful, obviously, but still, there's no reason why you can't give it a try if you wanted to. And uh, you know, a lot of times it was kind of funny. I was at a local Votex school one time, and they were talking about you know electric vehicles and and you know the the uh, one of the shop teachers, uh, a really nice guy, and and he's like, I grew up I grew up in uh, I'm from Ireland. I grew up in England. I worked on cars there. Uh, he said, you know, people get too wound up. He said, you know, electric cars are still cars. You read the directions, you figure out what to do, and you can do it. And you know, yeah, I think I think you know. People don't need to. People need to be respectful because you know you're looking at you know three, four, five hundred, seven hundred volts. So you have to obviously right. be respectful of it. But other than that, you know, it's still just a car at the end of the day. That's what I say. I just I just didn't know because I knew the battery might be coming up eventually. But like I can probably get one for maybe under a thousand bucks. Because now before they were all you know thousands and thousands. Yeah. Now with more technology no. out there. No, I I, I I think with your 2013 Prius, you could easily get a battery for a thousand dollars. Oh, that's what I figured. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Hey, Rusty, right. thanks well, for calling you. in. Keep up the good work. Have a All great right. day. Thank you. You as well. Thanks. Bye-bye. Yeah, yeah. Our phone number is 781-837-4900, 781-837-4900. Let's talk to uh, Jim from Lakeville. Jim. Good morning, John. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. I uh, really enjoy your show. Uh, since I guess you started at the beginning of the year, was it? Um. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing this for... 30 years but yeah so on watd since watd uh since uh i don't know jesse how long we've been doing this together 50 years 50 years according (laughs) to jesse so yeah yeah so yeah no it's great it's very good i i really enjoy it hey uh, two points uh one on your topic today nascar racing when i was a kid in the 60s i used to love watching uh abc wild world of sports Yep, and you had guys like uh, Fred Lorenzen and Junior Johnson and Fireball Roberts, you know, real characters. Yep, and the cars at that time, I mean, they were real cars. And I haven't followed NASCAR in a number of years because what I know about it most recently is that the, the car bodies—they're all the same, aren't they? And and they have the design and the uh, the makeup and the trim to make it look like a Chevy or a Ford or or whatnot. It really, I think, takes away a lot from the. Uh, you know the true aspect of the racing yeah i mean it, it is sort of you know the original days of you know you know when it was stock car racing you know and even and even when you know even when they had to you know build you know some you know monte carlos that looked different than a regular monte carlo because that was the body style they were using today mm-hmm. you're, you're right it's a jig they have to follow a certain design because you know of ground effects and all that sort of stuff and even i was talking to somebody uh, a few months ago and he runs a uh, he runs a, a a road racing team so different than you know different than nascar but still racing is racing and they have mm-hmm. to they have to run a car that can only be so high off the ground and if it's yeah. and if it's too high off the ground or if it's too low they're illegal so 
Um, right. One of one of the guys who's in, in it's a two car team. So one of the one of the guys in the team, you know, is kind of a middle of the pack racer. So honestly, they cheat a little bit. They add they add uh, you know they they lower the car maybe just by a quarter of an inch or or, or even less mm-hmm. than that because that adds to the ground effects. So when there's some chance of them ending up on the podium somewhere. So you know uh, what they do is he his his crew chief says to him. Make sure you wave to the fans. And what that means is drive off the racetrack a little bit, pick up sand and gravel and stuff, so when they bring the car to tech inspection, the jig fits under the under the body so it's actually a little higher off the ground because it picks so much so much junk up on the tires that it gets it yeah. that you know eighth of an inch off the ground so it passes tech so yeah. there is you know there is a, uh, you know everything has to meet a certain criteria and and I really you know when I look at you know whether it's you know drag racing like that you know tv show whatever it's called street outlaws and you know i look at those cars and those aren't street cars anymore those are those are true race cars and that whole show kind of kind of to me lost it but you know when i look at real kind of you know stuff that isn't you know um you know top fuel and you know top alcohol cars and i look at you know cars that you know the wednesday night drag racing up at uh up at uh, you know, up at Epping, Epping, where where people go up there and they actually you know have doors that open and close, and they have to stay within <laughs> circuit brackets, and yeah. they have you know, and they have standard shift transmissions, and you know, mm-hmm. you know that to me, that to me, I guess because I'm old, that to me, you know, feels more like racing. So that's right, that's right, yeah. No, I, I think it, it it's all part of the standardization and homogenization of, of a lot of things in this culture. Uh, the, the second point I want to make quickly, um, to, before I let you go, a couple of weeks ago you had a gentleman on from Ford. I think his name was Ryan, and he was the director of the Ford Historic Vault. Right. Yep. Vault. Yeah, Ted, Ted Ryan. Yep. That was that was ter- a terrific segment. I really enjoyed it. I have, since the Internet has come around, I search for old sales brochures of uh, particularly Fords. That was my first car. Yep. And it, it brings me back to the time when I dragged my parents to the uh, dealerships in the area in um, new model year, around September. But just seeing that seeing that stuff, it really brings back a lot of memories. I really appreciate having that guy on with you. It was great. Yeah, yeah the idea that the Heritage Vault has all of that stuff there is just it's it's amazing that they put all that stuff there. You can download it all. You know, brochures that you'd never be able to find before are there, and exactly. just makes it makes it really really interesting. And yeah, Ted Ryan, I think, really does have one of those. Ted Ryan, you know, he, yeah, Ted he, Ryan, yeah, he has one of those jobs that uh, I think really. Uh, you know, he's he's going to be pretty happy with what he does every day. So. I, I wouldn't even call it a job, Joint. You know, it's something he loves to do, and I I know even in my you know spare time, love doing looking at that stuff. It brings back a lot of great memories. Well, th- thanks very much, John. All I right, really appreciate you taking the call, and uh, enjoy the I enjoy the show every Sunday. Take care. Well, thank thank you very much. Okay, bye bye. Our phone number again seven eight one eight three seven forty nine hundred. Jesse, I, I'm guessing we need to take another break, right? Yes, sir. All right, why don't we take that break, pay some of our bills. Uh, you're listening to the Car Doctor Program on 95.9 WATD, the South Shores radio station. We'll be right back. No one wants to be left out in the cold. With AAA, you won't be. Their experienced technicians will be there fast to help with your dead battery, unexpected breakdown, frozen locks, or any car issue that comes with winter weather. They're trained to fix most problems on the spot, often without the need for a tow. And you're covered. 
in any car you're driving or riding in 24-7. Join AAA today at aaa.com slash join. South Shore Hockey fans, please join us every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. for the Ted Donato Show, Ted Talks Hockey, on 95.9 WATD, sponsored by the Caskin Flagon. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the Car Doctor, on 95.9 WATD. Now, back to the Car Doctor. And welcome back to the Car Doctor program on 95.9 WATD. A uh, couple of couple of interesting emails came in over the week, and uh, uh, I always kind of like to go over them, and, and uh, because they turn into a column at some point. One of them, and uh, had to do with what can I do on these really cold days to keep my battery okay. The best thing you can do is keep your battery charged. Um, the um, the electrolyte, the battery acid, if you will, when it when a battery discharges completely, it turns into more water than acid. And what can happen is the battery can actually freeze and crack. And somebody said um, the battery in their car, somebody wrote to me and they said their the battery in their car or their, is, um, is completely dead. And they said, should I go have the battery changed now, even though I'm not going to use the car for the next month, or should I just wait and put a new battery in it in a month and if it was it's an interesting question because if the battery is completely dead it could if it depending where it is it could freeze up and crack and then when the battery thaws out that kind of liquidy battery acid stuff could leak out and leak inside the car or leak inside the engine compartment and depending on where it leaks that it's pretty corrosive and it could do some damage. So uh, normally I'd say just uh, wait till wait till the uh, the uh, weather warms up. You're going to be you're going to be driving the car regularly. Put a new battery in it. Then I'm a little concerned about leaving that dead battery in there with the idea that it could possibly crack. Is it going to? Probably not. But I always sort of worry about that when when I hear it. Other than that, how do you keep a battery in good shape? Keep it charged up all the time. Uh, if you have a car you don't drive very often, go out and buy something like a a battery tender or similar product like that that will keep the battery charged. Uh, they're simple enough to plug in. We have uh, we have two cars that don't get driven as much as they should, and they both are on battery tenders. Uh, that I use to just make sure the batteries are fully fully charged and um, so there's not going to be any issue with them just an just an idea to keep that battery up as as good as, as good as it can be somebody else wrote to me and said they had a 2014 Mazda CX-9 they bought it new it only has 55,000 miles on it they love it and other than routine maintenance their only repairs have been a blower motor uh, replacement because the uh, drain hose was clogged and it sort of shorted out the blower motor so um, it probably sits outside where it gets leaves and pine needles and stuff in it and a rear wheel hub bearing that was replaced they've been looking at to upgrade it they found a 2019 virtually the same options as a 2014 right down to the interior which color which they really like uh, it has no roof racks on the 19 which they do on their 14 they never use them but they like they like the look of the roof rack style they have a couple of concerns one is the newer model the 20 
19 has a four-cylinder turbocharged engine. The older model has the V6 engine, the Ford Duratec engine. Um, and they want to know, you know, what I, th- what I think. And honestly, what I think is they probably should keep the car they have. Because in 2019, um, why does, you know, did somebody just get tired? Did they trade it in? Is there something wrong with it? They've been a little fussy with, like, weird infotainment, glitchy stuff that can be kind of awkward. You know the history of your 2014 car. It has virtually no miles on it. That Ford Duratec engine has been actually a pretty good engine in that vehicle. Um, I think I'd be tempted to hold on to it and just, uh, you know, just uh, keep it and see what's going on. Uh, Somebody who reads my column every week in the Quincy Sun, uh, Bob Bosworth paper, the Quincy Sun, uh, he said they, I, I said something about wax oil applied to high-end restorations. They have a 1989 Buick Presidential Century, so this Buick Century Presidential Edition that was their deceased husband. It has a lot of sentimental value, and they, they have a lot of rust on the other carriers. They want to know if that product would work. It will kind of lock in the rust where it is, but... Um, you know, if it's really rusty underneath the car, I know the car has sentimental value to you. Uh, I would have it evaluated by a good body shop and see how rusty it really is. If it can be, you know, if somebody can clean up the rust the best they can, a product like wax oil, which is uh, um, generally professionally applied, you can do it with spray cans, but generally professionally applied will kind of lock the rust in where it is. Um, it's it's a good product. It's I've never been a fan of undercoating. This stuff is really good. I've seen uh, I've seen some old cars that have had wax oil applied to them uh, twenty years ago, and they still look really good. I've seen uh, the high end restorations. There's a there's a, a company that does. They rebuild old Land Rovers. That's all they use for a product to on the frames to keep them from getting rusty because those Land Rovers uh, were aluminum body steel frames and they tended to rust away. Wax oil does a good job of holding it all in place. So, um, you know, maybe the car is getting old. Maybe you need to save, you know, some piece of the car as a memento if that's the best thing to do. That might be the only thing to do. If the car is too rusty, it's just it's it's not going to be safe to drive and that's the important part you want to make sure anything you drive is safe and uh, 1989 rusty buick is a 1989 rusty buick unfortunately and even though i like i said it has some sentimental value you know maybe there's some part of the car you could you know a hood ornament or uh something that you know the, the set of keys something that means something to you you can hold on to i made that recommendation with 